ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. The AI service ChatGPT, a new boss for Twitter, and the rise in cybersecurity attacks. Yes, this week on Download This Show, these are just some of the stories that dominated the tech world as we come to the end of 2023. But which was the most important story? Which was the most underreported story? And what can you look forward to in 2024? All of that and much more coming up. This is your guide to the year in media, technology and culture. My name is Mark Fennell and welcome to the final Download This Show for 2023. Yes, indeed, it is the final episode of Download This Show for 2023, and I am the least qualified person within a 12k radius to be here, because to wrap up the biggest stories of the year and to look forward into 2024, I am surrounded by not one, but two doctors. Uh, joining us from Uni SC, which is the uni of... The Sunshine Coast, yes. Correct. We have Dr. Erica Mealy, lecturer in computer science. Welcome. Thank you. And Dr. Jack Ryan. Still sounds like a spy. Our science tech reporter at the ABC. Welcome. Thank you, mate. I'll sit myself out here. Not a single <laughs> qualification with me. Uh, all right. So it, there's been an enormous amount of shifts in the world of technology, but I will say one of the biggest news stories of the year has surely got to be one of the better scandals of the year. Jack, for you, what was the biggest news story in technology of 2023? Oh, well, of course, we cannot look past the rise of generative AI and um, I guess really open AI taking over as the biggest, I guess, tech brand in the world. OpenAI, of course, is the creator, builder of um, ChatGPT, which released very late last year and completely and utterly obliterated all of our jobs and the planet as we know. Okay, it didn't go that far, of course. <laughs> I, was, I was looking down my notes. Where is the end of the world? Here? I, I, did he send through that as a note? I, I'm not seeing it. Absolutely not. It has definitely changed the world, and I think that's one of the if, – if this wasn't on the end of year show, we'd, we'd look pretty stupid, I feel. Fair enough. Dr. Erica, yes. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, straw poll of my colleagues and friends, and they said, surely this is the year of Gen AI, uh, the generative AI or the chat GPTs. Well, I think you're not too far off, Jack, because, I mean, <laughs> didn't Sam Altman come out and say it's an extinction level risk to humanity? So this is Sam Altman, the, the, <laughs> the current the, CEO? The, the is, was, is again. The once yeah. and future CEO. king. We call him the hokey pokey CEO mm. in our in our. And shake it all about. Well, this is the other part of the story I want to talk about, yeah. uh, Erica, which is not only was OpenAI, ChatGPT, one of the biggest kind of tech explosions of the year, but it was also one of the biggest dramas, wasn't it? It really was. It's it's put fear into society in a lot of places. There's a lot of people going, is my job not here anymore? I mean, in the education sector, it's been really hard for us because it's made us rethink how we assess things. But also the fact that it's not so reliable sometimes. I mean, I, b I believe that hallucinate has been the uh, Cambridge Dictionary word of the year, which I still think is being generous because it's it's not hallucinating. It's just plain making stuff up. <laughs> I want we will talk about them as a company, right? Because because I think we've sort of alluded to it, and and there is some drama there. But let's just talk about what it. What does AI, ChatGPT, mean for you, Erica, right? Because uh, we now know that people can construct whole essays and, and things like that uh, out of AI. Are there ways in which you've seen the academic world adapt to that? I think there's some good and some bad. And so the most successful implementations I've seen, I guess, in that academic space is where we've been able to 
leverage it usefully and teach students when not to use it. And so it's like this big shiny. And so when we do these disruptive technologies, it, it's like suddenly you're holding a screwdriver and everything is a screw, so you must use it for everything. We're starting to show the people that perhaps this isn't the idea. Uh, perhaps you can use it as a, a starting point, not an ending point. Much like, you know, Wikipedia, if I ever see a reference in an academic paper for Wikipedia again, I'll scream. But you can start there, but so long as you keep going and you chase down the references. I mean, one of my favourites was one of our students handed in an assignment and uh, it had a URL in there and uh, ChatGPT had made up the references, funnily enough. Mm-hmm. And uh, in their cybersecurity ethics essay, they had an, an advertisement for Fijian tourism. So uh, <laughs> not exactly relevant. Well done, ChatGPT. But those cases are sort of coming along. So we're using it in terms of how far can you go? But a colleague of mine works uh, in machine learning himself, and he's a gun. I reckon, you know, you'd take three of me to make one of him. And he said it gives him a 60% productivity improvement. It's going to help us, I hope, get rid of the annoying administrative mundane rubbish and unleash us on the cool problems that we can get up. Have get you our seen there's, there's a little hack doing the rounds at the moment where a particular teacher or lecturer, when she writes her essay instructions, she puts a little bit of invisible text in the middle, in between the paragraph saying, definitely include a reference to a pineapple. And of course, when people copy and paste the whole page into ChatGPT, they don't realise they're taking the invisible text as well. And then when they get the essays back, she does a search for the word pineapple. That's her. That is fantastic. (laughs) I I don't know if it's real. I mean, as with anything I've seen on TikTok, I don't know if it's real. We should also talk about the impact that ChatGPT is having on, on newsrooms as well. Jack, you've seen this kind of I won't say firsthand, but you've definitely seen it happen. Very up close and very, uh, maybe not personal, but very up close. So I worked for a company in the US, the company's called CNET, and the publication essentially started using AI to generate full articles around finance. And the reason that they did this is because we wanted to move into finance and get people coming to our website and looking at finance stories. They were answering questions like, what is a credit card? What is a mortgage? That's all that the chat GPT, the AI that we were using, was generating, these kind of answers to these questions. Except they didn't tell anyone on the editorial team that this was happening, and they didn't really tell the readers either. It was kind of hidden behind a a byline that said, written by CNET staff. Um, And if you click through the byline, it would eventually say, this was generated by an AI, or, or was at least helped by an AI. And so some enterprising young cyber dude. Uh, <laughs> is that what we call America? Some, someone on Twitter basically said, hey, uh, I just found all these articles written by an AI on CNET. Why hasn't anyone been talking about this? And it came out that 76 or 77 articles were written by an AI, or at least helped by an AI, and then overseen by an editor in one of our teams. More than 40 of those articles had errors in them. Like, and not just like, oh, there's a typo, like an error, like you weren't calculating interest right or <laughs> mortgage repayments were incorrect, which could actually, you know, affect people who read that article. It was a, a big sort of like shock to the system for us uh, at, in news because we didn't expect this to happen so quickly, I think. And it happened almost immediately after ChatGPT was out there. And yeah. 
I was going to say, and CNET's now up there with the, uh, you know, illustrious publication that I'm sure everyone buys for the words, but Sports Illustrated has also got in trouble for using AI-generated content, but it was hidden behind AI-generated pictures and a third-party agency, so you couldn't even get to the truth of the fact it was done by AI, but it was allegedly a placeholder that accidentally made its way through. Uh, but so yeah, it's, so yeah, so they say, but yeah, not, not alone there. And behind all of that, the the most famous company behind this, OpenAI, has had their own dramas right at the very top. We sort of alluded to it earlier, Jack. Um, why do you think this this component of the AI story was such a big deal this year? What did it What did it reveal? Yeah, it's really cool because, like Sam Altman, who is the CEO of OpenAI, became like almost the de facto face of AI, artificial intelligence in general, like everything, every application related to AI. And um, sorry, Erica, another white dude, not wearing a hoodie necessarily, (laughs) but um, Sam Altman, uh, you know, the reporting that's come out about this kind of in out, he, he was voted off the board and then essentially, you know, given his marching orders. And then there was a revolt inside OpenAI and over 700 employees basically signed a petition to say, bring Sam back. Sam's come back to the company. He's once again the CEO. And the indications are that this was potentially around the future uses of artificial intelligence and what OpenAI is building behind the scenes that we don't really know about yet. And I think that's the most interesting aspect for, you know, definitely for tech journalists, like what's going on? Why did this happen? Why would someone be outed from a board unless it's some sort of abuse story or some sort of I've stolen money sort of thing. And when Sam got knifed, it was we all jumped to that conclusion. But it seems like maybe it's actually even deeper and more concerning perhaps for the future of AI than we first thought about. Erica, would that be would I be right there? I think so. It, and there were some interesting stories that came out alongside it about the new makeup of the board. Mm. Um, so, yeah, talking about white dudes in tech, that's pretty much the new AI board is when they cleaned house, when he came back, they took all the women off the board. I don't know. Do you think artificial general intelligence, do you think they've actually made it, Jack? <laughs> so artificial general intelligence for our listeners is, of course, like this idea that the AI is smarter than us in some way, right? Is that Would that be fair to say? Is it sentient now? Is it sentient, Yeah, basically? I think it's the idea of sentient. So, yeah. I mean, it, so far, uh, pre-2022, 23, we talked about artificial intelligence, or some people call it, you know, machine learning, um, or these large language models, so the LLMs, and which is what is basically like, let's train an agent on the internet, which is how we got ChatGPT. They're supposed to be for a fixed use case. And so when ChatGPT came out, suddenly we looked at it and went, well, okay, so this isn't a particularly fixed use case. If I can ask something to tell me how to hotwire a car in Shakespearean English and I can ask it to write code for me, then it's not so specific. But yeah, this idea of AGI that they're talking about, artificial general intelligence, is that it's sentient. Of course, there was Blake Lemony, is it how you say his name? Um, Who was the the ethical AI uh, guy at uh, Google who was sacked for saying he thought it was alive because it could talk about death. So it's, it's a very big question. And I think tech has jumped. <laughs> here's, here's this cool thing. Hey, did you do your du- due diligence? Did you check it's not going to harm humanity? Nah, it's cool. Look, let's just, we put all this computing and it did this thing. How cool. Yeah. Oh, so back to your question, Erica, it's like, okay, did 
they make AGI behind the scenes and Sam was like, let's just unleash it and everyone else was like, maybe not. I don't know that it's like quite that dramatic, but I do I, I do think just based on how everything sort of unfolded, they must have some sort of product that is at least uh, more risky, I guess, than than ChatGPT has been. And, and we know that there's so many risks associated with that already as well, right? So how much more risky can we get? Does anyone want to know how to hotwire a car and Shakespearean? Did you just check? I did. <laughs> My noble it's not supposed int- to do that. My noble friend, I beseech thee to abandon the shadowed path of inquiry into the art of hot wiring a carriage, a deed both illicit and contrary to the laws of man. Hot wire a carriage? All you need to do in that case is jump on the horse, baby. <laughs> I like that in everything we've discussed, ChatGPT is still not encouraging us to do illegal things. In terms of the most underreported tech story of the year, uh, Erica, what, do you, what stands out to you? So I guess there's there's a couple, and and one is that uh, you know we've looked at these large language models, these AI and ChatGPTs and these things, but so part of it I guess is around uh, you know the environmental impact of that. So you know one of the other big stories I guess that has been around for a number of years is you know NFTs, blockchain, and cryptocurrencies, and there was a, a big stink about it probably 12 months or so ago when we worked out exactly how much it cost in carbon for things like the original Ethereum. And so we've got this huge idea that we've now converted our crypto- cryptocurrencies into environmentally sustainable ways of doing it, but we're just throwing, you know, massive amounts of computing at these uh, these AIs. So I think part of the the story about, oh, let's all just spin up our own AI. Let's make an AI Erica to give her lectures. So I think that's one big cost. But I think the other thing is, the, the whole world has kind of embraced this AI thing and it's really, for me, crystallised how important connection is. And uh, we've had some of those massive scale conflicts that in some senses tech is enabling when we're talking about the drones in the Ukraine and things like that. And Elon was very quick to jump behind uh, the Ukrainians with Starlink to provide them connectivity when Russia cut them off. But then you look at somewhere like Israel and Palestine and the current crisis undergoing over there, and there's no real reporting that I've seen that talks about the disconnect in some of those areas, about how they're being taken offline, they're losing their communication. And I think... We got a little taste of that when Optus went down this year. You know, hands up who had an Optus phone and had a very quiet Wednesday. But th- this idea that, you know, everyone's really so connected to their devices. And so we really need to ensure that we protect that for our citizens worldwide, not just within our borders. For you, Jack, the, what stands out to you as being the more underreported stories, things that we maybe didn't pay as much attention to as we should have? Yeah, I've really been focused on this over the last couple of months, Mark, particularly focused on the video game industry layoffs. There's been such contraction over the last year, really, in terms of where these workers are losing their jobs and where they're going. And the market is like flooded now, I guess, with all these workers from places like Google, Microsoft. Then we're looking at like smaller studios, entire video game studios closing, big, big deals closing, and then the smaller studios falling away. And I I haven't seen a lot of reporting about this in terms of the impacts it will have going forward. I think one of the things that's really interesting to me is I've been talking to a couple of studios in Australia, video game studios, and they're really concerned about what the next year looks like. There's actually a phrase going around at the moment, survive until 25, (laughs) because they think the investment has gone completely away and will 
sort of have these knock-on effects and that will affect, you know, listeners of this show, of us, because those games that were being developed are either being paused, cancelled, and then the models are completely shifting to like, the only way we can get money in is work for hire. We need to get projects in so we can pay our staff or we close. And so we're actually going to see, I think, over the next year, maybe two years, you know, a real slowdown in sort of the games that are coming out. It'll take a couple of years to come through. Wait, so why was there the layoffs in the first place? What was what was happening to precipitate that? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think it goes actually back a year even further. So what happened originally during the pandemic, everyone went inside and there was a huge boom. Cash was flooding in, especially in video games, but big tech as well. Um, cash was flooding in from investors basically saying like, grow, grow, grow. Get as much growth in as possible. Make stuff. Give us a big return on investment. And it didn't really happened that way. Then the war in Ukraine happened. And then all Australians know this, like there's a cost of living crisis. Interest rates have been rising. Australian dollar is very weak. So there's less investment coming from overseas now, especially into Australia, uh, for these studios to get money and keep keep going. And I, I know of like, you know, it's, it's unreported at the moment, but I know several big studios that basically have been cut in half and others that are like, have told me we're in survival mode. We cannot do this projects we want to do because of all these sort of macroeconomic sort of conditions that have unfolded over this year. Erica, you must have a whole bunch of students who are about to graduate into this industry. Is there a sense of optimism or is there a sense of pessimism as to what they're about to step out into? Yeah, I think it's actually almost something that maybe needed to happen in terms of we're so short worldwide, but particularly in Australia on cybersecurity prevention um, and and that kind of talent to be able to actually secure ourselves. So perhaps it's a a rationalisation of the industry in terms of, you know, what is the most important thing we need? Oh, maybe we should protect our data um, before we go no, and play I games with it. I want another Call of Duty game, <laughs> which well, isn't made play... here, but to the point is... No, the, the Call of Duty is made here. It is yes, made here. All oh, right, okay. Sledgehammer so in Melbourne, yes. Sledgehammer in Melbourne. There you go. Um, Erica, where I think those um, students should go is potentially the Port Adelaide Football Club, which has had <laughs> a, a hack this year. As an Adelaide Crows fan, I just wanted to get that in, Mark, that Port Adelaide is <laughs> struggling through a cyber attack at the moment. That's all. Thank you. How dare you? How dare you use my show for such untoward purposes? But uh, you didn't mention the, the biggest tech layoff story this year, which was X, which or definitely. Twitter or whatever you want to call it. We made a, you know, a creative editorial decision on the show that we are not calling it X. We're just calling it Twitter because X is the worst name for a company. Correct. It, it is. It is. It really doesn't sound family friendly either. Yeah, that, I think that was the one. That, that was the other big story. Perhaps it's been overreported, so it probably doesn't belong in this mm. section of the show. But uh, <laughs> the gutting of, of Twitter is an important story, though. I, I agree, Erica. Yeah, it's an interesting one, though, because it's allegedly because he hopes to build a platform that's more like perhaps WeChat from China, which is an interesting idea that this great global capitalist company wants to be more like a very almost control-based company that's come out of China. You take something that was in some ways great and you strip it of all the greatness and you get what we have today. That is as simple as I can put it, Mark. I feel like Twitter was once a place that was so critical to almost like up to the minute reporting, you know, getting the temperature check from the public about what was happening. And now it's like just slinging mud everywhere. So, Jack, yes. what gives you hope? What are you most looking forward to in technology in 2024? I can't believe you come to the doomer for this first, but <laughs> one thing that's, that's really cool and I'm really interested in seeing where this goes as a big video game guy is like, what is going to happen with XR and AR? 
What so this is this is alternate reality yeah. and and virtual reality. Yeah, correct. And the big device that is meant to launch early next year is um, Apple's headset, Apple Vision Pro, I believe it's called. They were talking about it launching at least in the US next year. I don't think we're going to see it in Australia for a while. I agree, I agree. I don't think that we'll probably see it in Australia next year. But I am really interested to see what happens with the uptake and will this be something that, I guess, especially developers, publishers, content creators get behind? Is it something that we're going to see really sort of come into its own in 2024. My guess would be probably not. The optimist in me says, if anyone can make people care, it's Apple, because we do not care about virtual reality, right, Mark? I'm not the best person to ask, because as soon as I saw the ad for this thing, I kind of was like... I want one. Yeah, no, no, listen, that's perfect. <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure I'm a normal person though. I feel like virtual reality where you have these headsets on, you jump on a roller coaster and it sort of makes you feel sick. I think if Apple can get over that barrier, maybe it starts becoming more acceptable. And I'd really love to see I want to see creativity. I want to see how people use this product. Do you actually think, Jack, that they can overcome what Google Glass couldn't, which is that, you know, Google Glass, uh, particularly for that sort of augmented reality, the idea of you can have like, you know, sort of heads up displays and things, it had so much promise and it just died. And I think that's because they too tightly controlled the ecosystem. But like you said, if, if also, anyone you, can do you it, did Apple, kind of look like a not that there was a term for a person that wore Google Glass. They they were called glass holes. And to be fair, as a, I've worn them, I, I tested them out early on, and I was like, yeah, no, I don't ever want to be seen in this wearing wearing this in public. It feels like the the Apple headset is not really designed in that same way, and it's also going to be quite price restrictive, of course, early on. Now, do I think it will convince people? Again, I think it will come down to the applications and the stuff that people make for that, including Apple. I mean. I love watching Apple TV. Like there's shows on there that I love. If I can just chuck the headset on and someone on my TV and I can do that, maybe, I don't know. It, yes, it's Apple. So, I mean, the, the thing that they're generally good at is taking a bunch of pre-existing technology and splicing it together in a way that is, you know, schmick and popular mm. uh, and then chucking a bunch of ads behind but, it. But do you think this is schmick? It has a massive battery pack. Uh, yeah, I, I, I do think it is. I mean, without, look, to be honest, the only thing anyone has to go off at the moment is a, is an ad, yes. right? So let's not like, this is not an in-depth review, right? But I will say that it's not a product you're supposed to walk around with, right? It's not a product that is supposed to be mobile. Therefore, the battery pack doesn't bother me as much. Does that make Yet. sense? Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, yes. yeah. Like I said, in, in practicality, this thing may be a nightmare. Yes. But no one knows that yet because all we have is an ad campaign. And I, and oh, I, that's the other thing for 2023, people screwing up in ad campaigns. How many AIs came out with, like, factual errors in their schmick logo and, you know, video releases and say, oh, oh sorry, it, it got it wrong and they deleted a week later? Wait, wait, wait. Tell me more about that. Oh, so uh, was it Bard? Yeah, it was Bard and Bard? the James Webb Space Telescope, I can remember, Erica. Yeah, yeah, there was a couple of them where they asked it a question in the schmick marketing videos and, and actually managed to screw it up entirely. Oh, as part of like a demonstration. Yeah, yeah, the big product launches, you know, when they're all drinking the Kool-Aid and, yeah, 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 we're going to go Google Bard, yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, that's not right. The James Webb didn't exist then, so it can't be right. Erica, for, for you, do you think next year is going to be a big year for virtual reality and, and AR? 
Yeah, see, for me, the killer use case, and it's a bit like the killer use case for AI for me, is that if it can help deload my cluttered brain, like I always say, I've got too many tabs open and I have no idea where the music's coming from. If it can help me in a way that's useful. So like if I can get a reminder that I'm out of washing powder when I'm at the shops, then that's a useful piece of tech. So the the idea of like having a, a augmented reality rather than completely virtual, I think, would be better for me. But that's also because VRs, the ones I've tried, have always made me violently ill. I don't know if I've got the killer use case for it yet. I'm totally looking forward to hopefully having my own little assistant, even if it's an AI assistant, sort of be like, Erica, the bins go out today. Because uh, let's face it, no one wants to miss the bin person and have to run out in their jammies. <laughs> in terms of your AI assistant, Erica, yeah. Like, when will you know that, 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 it, that, that it exists? When will you know that like, the, it's finally arrived for you? I think my biggest concern at the moment is to do with the cybersecurity side of it. Uh, so, you know, as academics, we're often working in an innovation space and, uh, you know, the intellectual property side of it hasn't been solved. Um, and there's already been some really big breaches using AI quite recently. And uh, the idea that, you know, company data could be given away or, you know, this project that I'm working on, we wouldn't be able to get a patent because I've used a chat agent, um, that scares me. Um, so I think we need to have a bit more understanding of those issues. Um, but yeah, probably, yeah, like I said, when it comes out in beta, and then I'll be happy to do it. Uh, I'm glad you brought up cybersecurity because actually it was a big year for major security, <laughs> I'm going to say failings, attacks, Jack. Is that something we can reasonably expect more of in 2024? Yeah, I mean... You're definitely going to the not expert here. This is uh, Erica's realm, but I would suggest, and um, Erica, I'll be very interested to hear your thoughts, but I would suggest this only goes, gets worse. Um, uh, you know, I jokingly mentioned the Port Adelaide hack. That's not uh, anywhere near some of the privacy breaches that we've seen even in the last year, like bef beyond before 2023. Um, obviously, Optus had one. We also had the Medicare hacks. These huge databases of our information are seemingly so readily accessible by people with not even that sophisticated tools yet, and the tools are getting more sophisticated. So why would the attacks not get more sophisticated? And I think this is exactly why Erica lectures and trains up her students, right, Erica? Absolutely. Yeah, I think the the everyday person is right to be a little bit afraid of um, how well we protect our data. Um, that's what something I would love to see uh, next year, not necessarily look forward to, but love to see is that uh, we really start cracking down on, you know, why do you need my date of birth? If someone has cited my ID and I am over 18, you don't need to store my date of birth. I don't grow younger. I don't suddenly have to prove that I'm 18 again. If I was 18 yesterday, I am more than 18 today. And uh, so that critical kind of, why do you need this data? Why why do you need to have my address if you're never posting me something? Um you know, that critical lens, I think, and also changing some legislation around that. It would be very nice to have, you know, I was in the latitude breach. I hadn't been associated with latitude in at least a decade and I was in the latitude breach. There is no reason for them to have that data. So, yeah, that's something I think we need to, to look at. But uh, as a nation, we need to also upskill and understand who we're giving the keys of the kingdom to and why.
And with that, we are done. Very big thank you to our guests this week, Dr. Erica Mealy. Thank you so much for joining us on the final episode of Download This Show for the Year. Thanks for having me. And Dr. Jack Ryan. Double docs. Double We're docs. out for the year. Thanks, doctor. mate. I appreciate it. And that is the last episode of the year. I will see you early next year. Until then, have a great summer. Bye. listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.